Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. We're awful glad you're here. On this episode, we'll hear from U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, who recently returned with a large contingent from a trade mission to Mexico. We'll also talk preparing your tractor for winter and tractor sales tips with Terry Burkhart from Allstate's Ag Parts. And we'll discuss mental health on the farm with Anna Shiat from the University of Georgia. Finally, we'll take you to the legendary Ernest Tub Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee to hear music from emerging honky-tonk star Cody Eichert. You won't want to miss a moment of it. Let's go! First up this week on the program, we hear from U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, who last week held a press briefing just moments after he returned from a trade mission to Mexico. During the briefing, he talked USMCA, MFP payments, and the current USDA budget. We wanted to bring you some excerpts from that briefing. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for joining us. I just uh, landed uh, from Mexico City a little over an hour ago, and uh, I thought we had a very successful uh, uh, trade mission down there. We uh, achieved our goals, obviously uh, generating new export opportunities for our collaborators and cooperators here. Uh, We had uh, probably 100 different folks there from 14 different states, uh, different directors, secretaries of agriculture, as well as uh, 28 different businesses there. And we uh, we had good uh, good trade mission. I think about 600 uh, business-to-business meetings there going on. So uh, uh, helped to generate new export opportunities. Certainly, we uh, USMCA came up. Uh, obviously, Mexico, as we are, are anxious to have that ratified here. They've already done their work, as you know, and uh, they're anxious for us to complete uh, complete our task here, and we discussed that as well. And certainly just uh, business is done on a, on a person-to-person basis and really just the building on the trust relationship that we have our, with our neighbors to the south. It was good to visit with Secretary Villalobos again. I invited him again to the Ag Outlook Forum, and uh, he has accepted, and we hope to have uh, what we're calling the Western Hemisphere Ag 5 here at the Ag Outlook Forum, our uh, colleagues from Canada, Brazil, and Argentina, where we can continue to uh, strategize over Western Hemisphere agricultural issues. But uh, we uh, had a good meeting with our ambassador. I was very impressed with Ambassador Landau uh, as a, a very distinguished attorney, uh, uh, highly decorated uh, Harvard graduate, but uh, has a real passion for agriculture. It was very demonstrated that way, and uh, he had already uh, knew a lot about it and was on top of it, but he was a great presence, and I think it will be a big uh, big help. Naturally, in all these trade missions, you have an opening plenary session with all of our cooperators, and we had a uh, good session there. They got their instructions regarding the different meetings and things like that. And then we had a a formal bilateral with Secretary Villalobos and his whole staff, it appeared. There were several there where we discussed uh, the various issues uh, issues between us, such as biotech issues and things like that. And then uh, we had lunch with the President's Chief of Staff, Mr. Alfonso Romo, and uh, he is an accomplished scientist as well. And... uh, I felt very good making that relationship with him 
and I think we have an avenue in the president's office over issues in that way. Then we had a little fun in the afternoon with a uh, NFL promotion event, playing kids uh, with flag football there. It was sort of a highlighting an American kind of tailgate party with uh, healthy foods and uh, a lot of uh, entertainment around the field. And uh, I got to play around with some kids in the flag, flag football. Uh, I had no idea that uh, American football was as popular as it is in Mexico, but they've got over, I think, over three to four million Mexican kids playing American flag football. And so uh, we had a little opportunity to visit with them. And then concluded last night with a reception at the ambassador's house where all the uh, uh, our people and uh, others came and uh, had a chance to fellowship there and talk about uh, their plans and what they're uh, what they were hoping to accomplish again in the next day or two. During the briefing, Purdue was asked about discussions he had with Mexican officials about immigration issues. Certainly, that was one of the primary issues we wanted to talk about was the labor issue and uh, encouraging Mexico to do what we feel like uh, other uh, triangle countries are doing and help to pre-certify, uh, particularly those. Uh, Farmers and people in southeastern Mexico, maybe the poorest of the poor there, who would like to come to the U.S. for economic uh, opportunities and a, and a reliable ag labor workforce there to uh, work with us in that way. They seem very interested in that, and uh, obviously it would be a win-win situation. Our agricultural producers here need the, uh, need the labor, and uh, Hopefully, as we're making progress over modernizing our H-2A rules and uh, hopefully having some uh, uh, legislative uh, input uh, coming soon that can facilitate that. And uh, we uh, we found Mexico to be very interested in that. Obviously, they're interested in raising the standard of living uh, in southeastern Mexico particularly. Uh, I pointed out the fact they can come here and uh, earn a good living uh, from based on their standard of living here in a seasonal way, and then even go back with the training they've learned here and become uh, small stakeholder entrepreneurs in their own country. So those are some of the things that we talked about. He also was asked if both sides agree on the approach that needs to be taken to help fulfill agriculture labor needs while stemming illegal immigration. Frankly, we both agreed that the... Uh, uh, a modernized H-2A program where they uh, help to pre-certify people who are qualified to come here and help to train those workers and help to teach them what is expected uh, in, a, in a more formal way will allow our producers here in the U.S. to have a pool of people from which to draw from. We've had some issues this year over where recruiters have uh, – uh, been caught into uh, having people pay, and there have been some difficulties with the State Department over some recruiters that may not have been playing by the rules. This would eliminate that. I think they like that idea uh, in, in being able to participate in that, to pre-certify and identify the people, maybe those uh, folks that they deem to need it the most, and uh, allow that to happen. So we felt like that was uh, a good result, and uh, I, I don't know that we really found any sticking points. The the, the benefit of the, the win-win situation that I see is that they and I feel like it would also help to resolve the, as they think, the irregular immigration or illegal immigration that we've been plagued by, by having an avenue for these people to come in a legitimate to government-to-government type of certified program. Purdue then was asked for an update on USMCA, the trade agreement between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, which was agreed upon in principle in September 2018, but is yet to be ratified by Congress. Well, 
officially are very anxious to have the USMCA ratified. They still seem to be very pleased on their part uh, with the, the provision of USMCA. They don't expect uh, uh, any major uh, changes there, and I don't think Ambassador Lighthizer does as well. He feels that uh, the issues that he's been negotiating with on the Democratic side are attainable and uh, can be done, and we're just anxious to get those things done sooner rather than later. I think uh, the later it goes, the longer it becomes possible to become entangled in uh, politics. It, it would not be helpful to uh, the agreement, and we certainly don't want to forfeit that uh, uh, on the altar of politics. Uh, politics in that way. So Mexico's fine. They, I went with them. I, it was not an issue where uh, I was looking to uh, negotiate the changes that we were making. That was not the purpose of my trip. We just, uh, we just talked about both of us being anxious for it to be ratified. Next, Purdue was asked about the USDA budget appropriation and the possibility of a continuing resolution to fund programs at pre-existing levels rather than at the level of an appropriations bill. Well, we're always anxious to have our budget approved, as you might know, when you get CR after CR after CR and you finally get appropriated. That's not very good planning, and it, it makes it difficult for us to, to manage our business going forward. So uh, uh, absolutely, we'd love to see uh, a budget deal done even prior, prior to this uh, latest or the most recent CR being uh, uh, exhausted, and uh, I would hope that be done. That's obviously in the uh, congressional uh, area, but uh, naturally, from a from a executive perspective, from a management perspective, the sooner we can know the resources that we have to do to deal with and to uh, utilize, the better it is. Purdue then was asked about discussions to export more of the nation's potato crop to Mexico. That was followed up by a question on the topic of prompt execution of disaster declarations on the heels of natural disasters across the country. First of all, there there were. Uh, uh, potato representatives there, uh, and they did a good job. But uh, we don't ever talk to Mexico without talking about potatoes and uh, and getting uh, more access of potatoes. It's interesting that the processors and retailers in Mexico are just as anxious as we are to get our U.S. potatoes. As you may know, the, the holdup has been that producers down there uh, went to the courts, and it's uh, in a uh, in a court uh, situation right now. We hope to have a, a judicial decision uh, out of their Supreme Court before the end of the year that can allow us to move along with uh, with that. We think the government has actually been helpful. Uh, this has been something that's been stopped by the producers themselves in court. We uh, we're grateful for the cooperation we've had from Mexican authorities and. Uh, we're hopeful that the courts can give us a ruling where we could uh, proceed and have access beyond that 26-kilometer uh, barrier that we're uh, confined to right now, which would certainly be a plus for that. Regarding the uh, the disaster payments, uh, certainly the interesting thing on the disaster provision of, that was passed this spring is that it was capped at uh, a finite amount of $3.2 billion, and we have several types of disasters. Many people think of hurricanes or fires, but as you know, flooding and uh, prevented planning has been uh, a problem early on. And now certainly in your area, uh, in the Dakotas, the, the flooding of harvest and the potential of uh, uh, freeze coming in and not being able to get the beets or potatoes out of the ground. Uh, as far as how quickly that can be turned around, uh, 
we would go the insurance route initially to determine the degree of damage. Uh, but the challenge will be the uh, while the money was capped, the time period was all the way through 2019. So uh, we're going to have to talk and see if the uh, if the money's going to uh, match up with what the demand out there is. We're just releasing the uh, the block grants for the WHIP Plus. Uh, uh, to the states that faced the hurricane issues on issues that were not uh, routinely covered. Uh, in, in your area, there are more traditional crop uh, uh, cropping patterns that have more standard uh, safety net provisions that, that we already have in place. But we still will be looking at uh, Secretary of Disasters in some of those flooded areas. I talked with the, the uh, Commissioner, Secretary of Agriculture in North Dakota this morning before we left, and I think he told me, uh, I don't know, it seemed like 90% of the counties have been affected by this least, uh, this latest snow and flood. But I, I can't give you a definitive time. There's some things that have to happen regarding what those losses are, uh, crops being uh, harvested, and to know uh, where we go from there. The secretary then was asked if he expects a third round of market facilitation program payments in the future. Well, uh, we're um, just... Uh, have gotten authorization on the second tranche, and you're asking about the third. Is that right, or you're talking about for 2020? Uh, I think, again, uh, the uh, the second tranche of the 2019 market facilitation program, uh, we'll be getting it ready uh, uh, hopefully the end of this, the end of this month or early December. And uh, certainly for another round, uh, we're very hopeful that the China negotiations can come to a favorable conclusion. Uh, the numbers that we're talking about right now would be uh, uh, very beneficial to our agricultural producers, and uh, we're hopeful that, uh, that the trade would uh, supplant any type of farm aid needed in 2020 in that regard. As farmers, you remember when they when we began, the, the mantra would they would rather have trade than aid, and that's what President Trump has focused on in uh, making sure that we reset these trade policies where our producers and much of the U.S. economy has been treated unfairly uh, through the years. Finally, Purdue was asked about any big wins on the trade mission specifically for the state of California. Yeah, well, almonds were very well represented. In fact, the uh, the Blue Diamond uh, group uh, sponsored the, uh, the reception that we had, and I think they had the almonds on every... Uh, uh, every hors d'oeuvre tray that came out. So uh, I think they made a, a big hit, obviously. We uh, uh, we feel like the uh, the news regarding almonds has turned uh, internationally, and I think uh, good news from Japan and, uh, and, and China, hopefully both. So we hope to see. Mexico probably is not that big a consumer of almonds, uh, of almonds, but that's a good reason to be down there and help help them understand. We talked about the healthy tailgate eating. Obviously, nut snacks like that are uh, are, are part of that. So, uh, uh, I, I think uh, your almond people always do a really good job. The uh, the president of the almond group was there and the almond board, and uh, I think uh, they uh, they always fend for themselves very well, make a good impression. So. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by them coming and being there uh, in that way. And we'll continue to keep you updated on the latest out of the USDA in future episodes. Up next, we visit with Anna Shiat, the Dean of the School of Social Work at the University of Georgia, who's done some fascinating and impactful research on the issue of mental health on the farm. Uh, Anna, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. This is an important topic that's near and dear to my heart. And we've had uh, 
Uh, we're recording this interview at the uh, Sunbelt Ag Expo in Moultrie. Uh, this county, Coquitlam County, is uh, the, the largest ag county in the state of Georgia, one of the largest in the nation, but it's also the leader in farmer suicides, unfortunately. Um, and we've chronicled this a lot over the last few years, um, just the uh, amount of uh, pressure that's on farmers these days. It's never been greater, probably. And uh, Anna, what have you turned up through your research and, and what gives you hope that we might be turning a corner on some of this? Sure. Well, the research for me started out when the dean of the College of Ag came to me saying, do you know about the suicide crisis in farmers? And that's not my area of research originally. So I said, no, but I can look into it. And then I started looking into CDC data. They keep data on suicides and did a 10-year analysis of farmer suicides and farm worker suicides in Georgia. Um, looking at both kind of who the people were and then what the factors associated were. And what we found was that the group was predominantly older white men, which are farmers, as you would think of, and that the factors associated with suicide seemed to be most frequently relationships, which is the true for all kinds of suicide. The next one was, I thought it would be finances, but it was health. People who can find out that they're sick, can't work anymore, can't take care of the farm, are going to be a burden on their family. They seem to be at really elevated risk. And underneath of that, I'm sure, are finances as well, when you think about health insurance and health costs. Um, another issue was finances. And the other thing that really struck me was that a lot of these folks had given off signs and signals that something was wrong, that people just didn't know enough to pick up on or didn't know what to do. I think the one that tugged at my heartstrings the most was there was one farmer who called up his friend and left a voicemail, and it's the last anybody ever heard of him, and it just said, my wallet's on the mantle, and please take care of my cows. So my goal in all of this, and trying to understand what's going on, is to figure out where are the leverage points? Where are the points where we can intervene and prevent bad things from happening? As I've been talking to people today, they've been talking about it as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Farmers have all sorts of stressors, and to me it's amazing because it's the only career I know of where you can do everything right. You can work 24-7 and be brilliant at everything you do and have the best equipment, and Hurricane Michael comes through, or tariffs go up, or pick a thing, and you can still fail. So it's hugely stressful. But I think there are places where we can be helpful. It's really clear if health is an issue, well, we ought to train every doctor and every nurse practitioner in rural areas about how to recognize suicide, you know, suicidal ideation. What do you do about it? We should be talking to the faith community. We should be talking to loss was a big issue when people had their wife go into a nursing home. So let's talk to nursing home owners. Let's think about all the places in the community that farmers trust, not a university, but people that are real friends of theirs so that the community can look after its own. And so people can learn, how do you ask the question? So when you think a farmer's struggling, you know, it just, it looks, it's clearly that there's some stress so that you're comfortable saying, it looks like you're in a really bad place. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? and being okay asking that question, and then be okay persuading that person to go talk to somebody, maybe driving them to their minister or going to their doctor or something. But I think we have to be able to talk about it and we have to be able to think about it as the community, our community, taking care of its own 
And the other thing somebody here said that I loved was, what's a farm's greatest asset? It's not the equipment, it's not the land, it's the farmer. So just like a farmer takes care of his land and takes care of his equipment, he's got to take care of himself or the farm's going to fail. So we have to help that happen. So for anybody listening to this that's saying, okay, you, you talked earlier about some of the leverage points. What are the, some of the signs that folks should be looking for if there's even an inkling that there could be trouble brewing? Sure. Um, there's a couple of different kinds of signs. First is what people are saying. You start people hearing people say things like, oh, you know, y'all be better off without me, or I just don't see the point anymore. Things like that may not be overt th threats, but sound hopeless. There are behaviors. Maybe people start sleeping a lot more than they used to, or they can't sleep at all. They increase their alcohol consumption. Um, some people start showing family members, here's where I keep all my papers. You know, here's my life insurance policy. Here's my will. Some folks will, you know, here's my grandfather's watch. I want you to have it. Giving things away. Those kinds of things. In addition to the things you might think of as typical, like crying and saying, oh, I'm so depressed and things like that. There's other indicators that we can do. And if you see that, if you don't know what else to do, there is a national suicide prevention hotline. And that number is one 800 273 8255, 1-800-273-TALK. And you can call them and they will give you advice and they will tell you where the nearest help is and they can help you help somebody and save a life. So if folks want to know more about this and they want to check out some of your research, where can they go to look? Well, um, there the research that I've done, um, there's a couple of articles on our website, the School of Social Work, which is ssw.uga.edu. But also, if you just Google the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or the American Suicide Prevention Association, they've got tons of resources, lots of reading materials, lots of really good tips. Um, there's also some things that are specific to farmers. Michigan State has things through their extension. Vermont has things. Missouri. So there's resources out there that are specific to farmers around mental health and suicide also that you can just get off the internet. And I know our, our friends at the American Farm Bureau Federation, you've worked with them as well. Another great resource. Absolutely. They're doing phenomenal work. They're Farmer Strong Opioid Prevention Initiative, and they're doing work in the mental health arena too and doing training in that area. And their, their website's got some great resources as well. Well, Anna, you guys are doing amazing work with this, and we appreciate, uh, on behalf of all farmers and ranchers who are listening to this, the fact that folks are taking this seriously and trying to remove some of the stigma around it and, and trying to address it so it's not a taboo issue and people will go get the help they need. Well, thank you so much. You know, what I just want farmers to know is that we are grateful for their service, we are grateful for what they do, and there are people that care and that want to help. Excellent. Well, Anna, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track, and we'd love to come back and check in with you down the road as, as we uh, want to keep this issue really front and center. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Back on Fast Line Fast Track, and it's my pleasure to welcome back into the show Terry Burkhardt with Allstate's Ag Parts. And uh, last time on the show, we talked about uh, how to take care of your tractor and uh, prepare for the winter if you're not going to use it, if you're going to store it for a while. But this week, I wanted to come back and, and talk to you a bit, Terry, about uh, what, what you should do uh, if you're going to use your tractor a little bit or you're going to use it regularly. So uh, uh, first of all, Terry, welcome to the program. Thank you. 
So, uh, you know, those snowflakes are getting ready to fly here. Been looking at uh, some of the forecasts, and it looks like in some areas of the country we're, we're going to get uh, kind of a uh, an unseasonably uh, uh, cold blast of air here and uh, snow a little bit earlier than, than usual. So if you are going to get that tractor out and use it quite a bit or at least a little bit, uh, what are some of the things that folks should be cognizant of? Yeah, you know, um, first I want to talk about the guy that is going to use his tractor just a few times because uh, that's probably more problematic than the, the guy that's using his tractor regularly throughout the winter. Um, again, the batteries can be problematic. Um, you know, if it sits, it's going to drain. Uh, one of the easiest ways to prevent battery drain is to install some kind of cutout switch and just disconnect the battery through that switch uh, from the rest of the electrical system. Um, that'll keep the drain uh, on the battery from occurring. Uh, all you have to do then is flip the switch back on when you go out and try to uh, start the tractor. Um, then the other thing you can do for a tractor that may sit for a week or two is to start the tractor every few days so that you don't end up with issues with the fuel. Uh, sometimes that fuel will gel up or, uh, you know, the settle out or get moisture in it. And uh, the easiest way to solve those problems is just to start it every couple of days. So those are a couple of things you can do if you're not using your tractor much. Um, if you're using your tractor regularly throughout the winter, um, you know, there's, there's, you can put different oil in it, obviously, for, uh, you know, that's not as thick. Uh, so the engine will turn over easier um, and, help, and help get that tractor started, even if the cranking power on the battery is a little lower. You could keep that oil warm um, with an engine heater. Uh, that'll keep the, the viscosity up and, and uh, make it easy to, to change or to uh, start if you don't keep it if you don't change the oil out completely. Uh, one caution there is if you're using a, a winter oil, um, a lot of those oils are detergent oils and they are not recommended for older engines. So uh, be cautious there. And then the other thing, um, moisture. Um, gets its way into an engine compartment. Um, get the you know, it may come in through the distributor cap, gets it wet, causes shorts uh, or you know no spark. Um, you know, so you can open up and kind of check that out before you even start your tractor. But um, so those are a few tips for if you're using your tractor, um, but not quite as much as you might during the summer. And the big thing is always maintenance. Um, you know, make sure you come down. And make sure you're doing your regular maintenance, and that'll help you as well. Then at all states, we have a few products to keep the uh, the tractor operator nice and warm because that's equally important. Um, you know, for an open station tractor, we have what we call heater cabs, or in the east, they call them heat housers, and that's basically a canvas or vinyl product that wraps around the engine and the uh, cab area. And... Um, Put that engine heat into the uh, into where the operator is standing or sitting. Um, so those are very popular for older tractors and keeps keeps the user warm, which is very important. So if you're in the position that uh, you, you have uh, run into some problems there, make sure you get on their website tractorpartsasap.com and 
check out what they've got there. Uh, Terry, something else, this time of year is the time when, when folks get, get done using a lot of their equipment and maybe they're looking to upgrade. So they're, they're looking to sell or they, they look at a piece and say, Hey, I just don't need this anymore. Well, would love to turn it into some fast cash. What are some of the things that folks should consider if they're looking to get rid of a piece of equipment? You know, there's there's a few things you can do. Uh, first, make it look good. You know, um, if you're selling it online or in a print publication, uh, get some good pictures. Make sure you're showing good pictures. Um, you know, for people that are coming on site to look at it, um, you know, try to bet, bang out the dings in the sheet metal, um, repair rips in the upholstery, um, replace cracked missing covers for dials or gauges, you know, decals that have worn off, uh, you know, get old all state tag parts and get some decals to put on there. Um, so just do whatever you can to make it look good. Um, it's, it's stated that tractors that look good will oftentimes sell better than tractors with lots of hours that don't look good. So make it look good. And then if you have a record of your regular maintenance, that's certainly going to help uh, give some confidence to the buyer that uh, you've been servicing it regularly. Um, so if you have those records, that's helpful. Uh, and then before you uh, before you talk to that first person, go out and look at some of, you, some of the specs on that tractor. Know how many horse it is. Uh, know what kind of horsepower it has off the PTO. You know, those kind of issues. Um, you know, some people are going to be buying that tractor for a specific need, and um, they may want to know some, some information. So if you've got that information readily available, uh, then go ahead and, and uh, spruce up on that information so you'll know it. Um, next, you can make repairs. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe especially this time of year, end of harvest, you, uh, you kind of took some shortcuts and some repairs to uh, keep things running until harvest was over. And now you should go back and make sure you fix those with the right parts, um, you know, parts that were for that tractor. Um, and then, again, all state Act parts has those as well. Uh, and we can help you with just about anything there. Um, price it fair. You know, that's – and be honest. Nobody wants to, to uh, feel like they got uh, – didn't get the good deal. So um, be that. And then you might want to consider uh, getting – selling your attachments along with that tractor. So those are just a few things you can do uh, to help sell your tractor. Um, hopefully make a good profit on it while you're, while you're at it. Well, again, if you are in the market to sell a tractor or any other piece of farm equipment and you need some parts to fix it up, the place to go, tractorpartsasap.com. And uh, Terry and the folks there at Allstate's Ag Parts can hook you up. And uh, uh, Terry, we appreciate uh, you checking in here with us and giving us this information. And uh, we look forward to having you back to uh, impart more of this wisdom here in the near future. Yeah, sounds good. I, I love doing this. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. And again, that's Terry Burkhardt with All States Ag Parts.
And now we take you to the Ernest Tub Record Shop in Nashville, Tennessee, for the music of Cody Eichard, frontman for the up-and-coming honky-tonk band Cody Eichard and the Sidewinders. Cody's new EP, You Can Find Me in a Honky Tonk, was released on October 31st, and it's smoking. I hope you enjoy our conversation in his music. Back on Fast Line, Fast Track from the legendary Ernest Tub Record Shop, 417 Broadway in Nashville, Tennessee, the original home of the Midnight Jamboree, and it's my honor and privilege to bring in a fellow Hoosier, Cody Eichard who fronts the band Cody Eichard and the Sidewinders. And Cody, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, Brent. Thank you very much for having me out. I appreciate it. Cody and I have trod a lot of the same ground. He's from uh, Bedford, Indiana, and oh, I'm yeah. uh, just down the road in uh, Jasper, Indiana, now uh, on the other side closer to Louisville. But uh, we, we, we've traveled those same roads, and, uh, man, uh, it does my heart good to see uh, <laughs> see somebody from that kind of uh, that country doing so well, man. Oh, well, thank you very much. We're, we're staying busy for sure. Yeah. So uh, you've got a new album coming out here. Uh, you can find me in a honky tonk. We're gonna we're gonna hear that single here in a little bit, and it, and it is smoking, man. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, we recorded that up at a, a studio up in Indianapolis, Indiana, a place called the Static Shack. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, the guy Alan Johnson he recorded a lot of stuff for the Bob and Tom radio show and all that, and he's he's recorded anybody from. Uh, uh, Larry Crane to uh, you know a, a lot of people so it was a really cool studio to be able to work in uh-huh. yeah. a- anybody who uh, is familiar with John Mellencamp knows that Larry Larry yep. Crane name and <laughs> in our stomping grounds here he is a uh, kind of a musical legend absolutely is that, yeah. that guy and uh, man uh, tell me a bit about uh, your musical background how did you get involved in all this uh, well, I mean, I really just started playing drums from the time I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing in the band, of course, when I got to middle school. I ten- tended to gravitate towards the uh, the drum set. Mm-hmm. So I was the guy back there playing ACDC and you know, Led Zeppelin <laughs> and stuff in the back while they were trying to teach music to the horn section or whatever it may be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. I, I played uh, ACDC Thunderstruck with a, a fellow student at one of our fall parties and I could not. I could hardly sleep that night. I, I got so excited afterwards, and I think that's when I caught the bug. And I've played drums for about 13 years, and then when I got went to college, couldn't bring my drum set along, so I uh, picked up the guitar, started learning songs, and started rediscovering all of these uh, these old country tunes that that felt like home to me. You know, uh, started listening to a lot of Hank Three, Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr. Of course, Merle Haggard. Uh, of course, I love Ernest Tubb. It's pretty awesome to be in uh, his record shop here today. Man, and yeah. it, you, you bring up Hank 3. I can hear some of those influences, and you can find me in a honky-tonk. Oh, they're, yeah. They're there. <laughs> Absolutely. He was kind of like the uh, the bridge between punk rock and metal into uh, country music for me, So, uh-huh. which is what I primarily mostly played in high school. It's like rock and roll and you know punk rock and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So, so where did you go to college, and what did you study? Uh, I went to Indiana University. Shout out the Hoosiers. And uh, I, went, I got a safety science bachelor's degree okay so, got yeah. you and you're putting it to good use absolutely yeah i still work full time i play music uh as much as i can how, how does that balance work uh it's very delicate uh-huh. but i make it work <laughs> uh, what, what kind of work are you doing uh, i work for osha so i do a lot of safety uh safety inspections uh responding to accidents uh amputations that type of stuff and make sure that the uh pieces of machinery are guarded correctly and uh you know the employers are taking care of their employees the so. dude they don't ever like to see coming no definitely not but uh <laughs> play a crucial role in some uh, some of these inspections we do so that's yeah. awesome man so uh you, man you're playing some great uh, true traditional country music keeping mm-hmm. things going how do you make that happen outside of the uh the, the glitz and glamour of nashville 
honestly, outside of Nashville, I, mean, I, I haven't played down here before. This is the first time I've been down here to play anything at all. So uh, I guess I could be considered a Nashville recording artist now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, bona fide. Yeah, so we really just keep it going in the honky-tonks up in Indiana. Uh, we, we travel up to Chicago. We play down in Louisville, Kentucky some. Mm-hmm. You know, we just c- try to stay busy, uh, making new contacts with fairs, festivals, uh, venues all across the state. And We've been trying to branch out into, you know, the. we've been trying to get into Michigan, a little bit more in Illinois, Ohio, and more in Kentucky. We, we'd like to come south a lot more, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things you kind of have to start out small and work your way up to it. So You almost find like yeah. it's easier because you're out of that spotlight where there's a million guys and gals trying to do what you're doing down right. here. But, uh, yeah. man, you're kind of a standout in, in that neck of the woods. Well, so. thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming down here, there's there's so many great musicians down here. You know, it's... I'd like to try to stay a little bit isolated from it to kind of build up my own little following, and then hopefully one of these days I can come down here and, you know, utilize some of these great songwriters and studios that they have down here. Well, your own little following isn't so little anymore. You're really growing, <laughs> man, uh, especially social media these days has yeah, really boosted yeah. that. And uh, uh, from what I've observed, uh, a really nice uh, uh, group of people that, that follow you around, and and, uh, and you're uh, burning up a lot of shoe leather trying mm-hmm. to... Uh, to uh, connect with those people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, especially being a country, a quote unquote, you know, country band in Southern Indiana, you kind of have to, kind of have to break through some of those people. You know, to let them know that you know we're not just uh, some music you fall asleep to. You know, we're we're the music that you listen to 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 get up and drink a few beers, party, dance. You know, have a great time with all your friends. So it's mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a challenge trying to get that across to people, but I think we're doing a good job at it. Well, I can tell you, Alabama put Alabama on the map uh, in addition to <laughs> Muscle Shoals, but oh, yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, Indiana people think of Henry Lee Summer and they think oh, of yeah. uh, John Mellencamp, but. Yep. Uh, not a ton out of that, so it's long overdue for for a good country band to come out and uh, agree. And, and really show the world that, that Indiana can get it done as well. Absolutely, yeah. We got a lot of great talent in Indiana. I'm just uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to go out and play all the time. So uh-huh. yeah. So what's uh, what, what's on the horizon for you guys? Uh, 2020, we'll probably be coming out with a new single. Uh, we're, we're just now coming out with our brand new EP. We just got the physical copies in the mail about a week and a half ago. And uh, tomorrow, Halloween 2019, is when we're going to release it all on digital platforms everywhere to have people for to stream, purchase, you know, on Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, all that good stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just going to try to hit it hard in 2020. Um, going to try to not go as long without recording original music we're going to try to do a little bit more at a time that way we can keep compiling up original music and really solidify ourselves as country music artists and not just a cover band you know sure sure so tell me about the first time uh, as a uh, performing artist that, that you stepped on stage with a band what can you remember that what was that like uh, well, I'd probably go back to that, that one day at the, the fall party in, in uh, middle school when I played drums to uh, Thunderstruck. Sure. I had one of my buddies up there playing an acoustic guitar, playing the uh, yeah. Angus Young's part on there, which is pretty cool. Like I said, I got home that night. I couldn't hardly sleep. I was so excited. So, uh, What was your first bar or club show? <sighs> um, gosh, it might have been Jake's Nightclub in Bloomington, um, I think with my high school band, I think. Yeah. Wow. They're no longer uh, a bar up there anymore, but it used to be a cool place to go see music. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, what have you learned through all those experiences of uh, doing live shows? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, just the whole process of meeting the kind of people you meet out there. You never know who you're going to run into, what you're going to run into. Uh, really, just 
calcing up my my voice, getting solid at learning how to play my instrument, being good at singing. Uh, I'm still trying to learn how to be a good guitar player. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Uh, but just getting out there and doing it as much as you can, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's all about consistency. So you you played the drums, you picked up the guitar, but mm -hmm. when did uh, you think, hey, maybe I can sing also? Because not everybody can do that. Yeah, yeah, I played in a, a blues rock trio uh, in college, and I kind of got forced into singing mm -hmm. while I was playing drums. Uh, and we played a lot of like '90s alternative covers and like stuff from Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Clapton, all of that stuff mm -hmm. as well. So I kind of got put in there so I was just like well I guess I can either try to be good or I can be shy like I had been my entire life and not be good so I figured I'd just break the mold and just start doing it you know uh -huh. had a lot of self-conscious issues you know in the, in the beginning I guess every singer does at some point but you know you kind of got to get over that and just do your thing did you surprise yourself once you you find out where, where all this has led you absolutely uh -huh. yeah I look back on some of those early videos of me singing and I'm just like man I had no idea what I was doing uh -huh. yeah <laughs> of course it is a little harder to sing and play drums at the same time but you know no excuses and now you're you're sitting here in the Ernest Tubb record shop where Ernest Tubb and Hank Williams and Elvis and Johnny Cash have sung so incredible yeah dude you're doing something <laughs> right man well thank you yeah I know I appreciate you having us down I really do yeah well, make sure you go check them out, man. G give them your website. Give them your socials so we make sure that they uh, follow you. Yeah, so once again, uh, Cody Eichert and the Sidewinders. You can find me in a honky-tonk, brand-new EP coming out. Uh, you can look us up at Cody Eichert Music on Facebook, uh, Cody Eichert Music on Twitter, Cody Eichert on Instagram, um, and just Google search us, and you can find our, uh, our, our, our two projects online and stuff. And uh, one thing I'm really excited about with this new record is uh, we, we were able to to pay tribute to uh, Merle Haggard on one of, on right. one of those songs, and uh, also Marty Stewart on there too. So uh, two of the great check ones. Check them out. Yeah, for uh, sure. Love that. And uh, yeah, Cody with the C, Eichard, I K E R D. Make yes. sure you go check him out. And we're gonna get him mic'd up here and let him go play some for you. But uh, Cody, man, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us here. And uh, we want to have you back w w when this thing continues to grow. We're gonna follow you, and uh, uh, well, just excited to watch you take off. Off. Yeah, once again, thanks for having me down in Great Music City, Ernest Tubb Record Shop. Pretty happy. Here we go. That was Cody Eichard. We're going to let him get set up and play some for you. All right, my name is Cody Eichard, uh, the front man for Cody Eichard and the Sidewinders. This is Jason Thompson on guitar. And uh, this first one is the title track to our brand new EP called You Can Find Me in a Honky Tonk. And it goes like this. One, two,
here honky tonk for damn near two weeks straight. Yeah, cause I ain't got no home around here since you sent me on my way. Well, I know the town's all talking, they know that I've gone insane. In the lies I told about every night's what brought on all this pain. So I'ma walk the floor like the night before with a bottle of Jim This next song we're going to do is uh, this is going to be our second single release off of our brand new EP, You Can Find Me in a Honky Tonk, and this song is called I Miss You.
pictures on the floor You and I Cause it's the only thing I got To hold on to at night And sometimes I can smile Just because you'd want me to But then I fall into the floor And I whisper I close out uh, this little show here with one off of our first EP and this one's called No Closing Time and it goes like this Yeah I've got some friends that stay out all night We fire them up Have a hell of a time We drink PBR and then it's time to go down to the woods to drink some more yeah, come on out and you will find that we don't have no closing time. Yeah, you can do what you want, yeah, go ahead. There's only two things that need to be said. Don't spill my beer and we'll be just fine. Don't touch the gun hanging on his side. We like to get around here with a piece of mind. Break 
right. And that was the music of Cody Eichard. We certainly want to thank him for taking the time to join us. Make sure you go out and download his new EP, You Can Find Me in a Honky Tonk. And be sure to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or the iHeartRadio app, and add our Spotify playlist to hear music from past, present, and upcoming guests of the show like Cody Eichard. Also, if you're in the market for farm equipment, make your next stop FastLine.com. Check out the equipment locator and the price comparison tool with the iron average powered by iron solutions and don't forget our friends at pink tractor have launched a new website would love for you to take a look at it it's geared toward women in agriculture and features a wealth of news to keep you in the know as well as compelling features about women involved in every facet of agriculture check out their electronic edition on the website www.pinktractor.com until next time this is brent adams thanking you for joining us on fast line fast track y'all come back next time and bring along a friend you've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. Yeah.